I just really want to highly commend our team, Steve, Erickson, and Rosemary, uh, for the job that they did, the grace that they showed me, the way that they really went out of their comfort zone and really just ministered the gospel. I think last week I, I said we gave out 2,000 tracks. I know we printed 2,000 tracks. I just need to be honest. My conscience has been bugging me. I have no idea how many tracks we gave. Uh, it could have been 2,000. It could have been more. It could have been less. But these guys just went gangbusters for the Lord. And one of the things, well, come back to the United States, I wanted to kiss the ground, to be honest with you. And uh, <clears throat> just being back after 40 hours of travel. And uh, well, on the way there in Taipei, we sat down and, and we were just having some time to, uh, to pray and share. And one, of th- one of my prayers before this trip, I was praying, Lord, I just pray that there would be something that you would teach me from each one of our team members. What is it that I can learn from each one of our team members? And when we sat down to have this little meal, one of the things that Rosemary shared, she said this, that this is too early to start crying. Stop this. Um, <laughs> Cornerstone is a breeding ground for grace. And the whole team just kind of like yeah, had something to share about that, that Cornerstone is a breeding ground for grace. And I really like that phrase. And I asked them to kind of elaborate. What do you mean? And so each one of our team members began to share a little bit about what the Lord has been working in their hearts uh, since they've been at Cornerstone. And so I want to explore that idea uh, this morning. What does that mean um, that our church is a breeding ground for grace? I don't think it's it's not like something that's just unique to Cornerstone. There's something that's going on, obviously, here that is right in the word of God. That's right coming from Jesus Christ, but we get to experience it on a, on a weekly basis. And I've been at this church since 1993. So sometimes I just think this is just the way all the churches are. But the more I talk to you guys, the more I'm finding out that it's just not that way everywhere. And so what is it? And so I want to ask a few questions. How can we love God the way God's word commands us? We're going to look at some commands today. How can we obey God the way he commands us? <clears throat> How can we love each other the way God's word commands us? How can we love anyone the way God's word commands us? How can we not love the world or the things in the world? How can we obey and fulfill the commands of scripture? And I want to frame this discussion with the idea that there is something happening here. There is a breeding ground of grace that I think gives an answer to these types of questions. And a lot of this message just flows out of my own heart. It's kind of like, why has there been a work in my life over the years that I've been here? And if, if you've known me for very long, uh, if you knew, I, I, I pray that you've seen a change. Um, I think I've seen a change. My family thinks they've seen a change, but this change has happened for a reason. And it's not because Mike Berry is such a stud. In fact, it's the opposite. It's God has used you. God has used these pastors. God has used the gospel to have an impact on my life, my family's life. And I'm able to do things today as a 51 year old that I wasn't seeing in my life to the same regularity when I was younger. And I think I can say that in humility, that it's not something that has come from me. It's come from 
God through the gospel through you back to me. And so that's the way I want to frame this is why is there a breeding ground of grace here? And how can Cornerstone continue to be a breeding ground of grace? Because theoretically that could stop, right? There's lots of churches that have done well for a while and seen revival and then they've gotten cold. That could stop. And it could be that we have certain pockets of grace, but other pockets in our church that are not filled with grace. One of the things that John Phillips says in a book called Exploring the Psalms, he says, we cannot make a man clean by washing his shirt. Cannot make a man clean by washing his shirt. And he gets that from the old Salvation Army back when it was a real Christian organization in the 1800s. He says, only one power is known in all the long experience of human history by which a bad man can become a good man. That power is the gospel. I want to propose to you that that is why right now, at least in our history, that this is a breeding ground for grace is because the gospel has been proclaimed here from the main teaching pastor. That is Milton Vincent. Pastor Milton says in the gospel primer, if you don't have this book, you should get it. He won't say it, but I will buy this book, the gospel primer. He says this, quote, so how can I come to love God with all of my being? The Bible teaches that genuine love of my heart for God is generated by an awareness of his love for me. And nowhere is the love of God more clearly revealed than in the gospel. How did Cornerstone become a breeding ground for grace? I want to propose to you that our church became a breeding ground for grace because God got a hold of our pastor. And it happened back when he was preaching through 1 Corinthians. And as he was going through 1 Corinthians, God started getting a hold of his heart in a unique way and started growing him in very special ways. And he started dumping that out on us. And as the gospel started dumping out on us, we slowly started getting it. And I can just tell you from my own experience, I've been mouthing the words that Milton's been saying for a long time. But I I, I would say it's only recently that I think I'm kind of starting to get it. I mean, he's been on this mantra since I think 2001, somewhere in there, 2001, 2002. And now we're in 2019, and I think I'm starting to get what he's been talking about for almost 20 years. That it's God's love for me that makes the change. And as Pastor Milton has been changed by the gospel, and he's gotten up on a weekly basis and preached the word of God Because of the change in his own life through the gospel, the Lord uses that to change us as the people of God. God gets a hold of a pastor. The pastor starts preaching the gospel. The elders start changing. The church starts changing. I think that's the ultimate answer as to why this is a breeding uh, ground for grace. But that can go away, brothers and sisters. If we get our eyes off of the prize, if we get our eyes off of the treasure. And so I want to ask, This question, and that is, how can Cornerstone continue to be a breeding ground for grace as we press into the future? And so I want to ask you to open up to Titus chapter 3. Don't worry, this is going to be more of a devotion. This is going to be kind of a, because of all the things that we wanted to get accomplished this morning, I'm going to share 
more of kind of a, a, a devotion, and then we will uh, get you guys out of here ahead of Filipino time. <laughs> How can Cornerstone continue to be a breeding ground for grace? Let me just read our text, Titus chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 to 8 from the New King James. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were once also foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. This is the word of Almighty God. How can Cornerstone continue to be a breeding ground for God's grace? I want to suggest, first of all, our pastor bond servants must continually remind us of God's good commands and good works. Our pastor bond servants must continually remind us of God's good commands and good works. Look at verse one of our chapter. Remind them who is speaking, who is telling this Paul, who is he speaking to Titus Titus is a pastor in Crete. Look back to chapter one. Paul, a how does he describe himself? a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, to Titus, a true son in our common faith. Titus, the son, is also a bondservant. He is a pastor here of Crete, and um, he's being commanded by Paul to remind the people in his congregation of certain things. Look at verse 15. Speak these things, exhort in rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. Let's ask a few questions of our text. Verse 15, speak these things. What things? We'll look up in the previous context. We're not going to try to exposit all of 11 to 14, but when you look at what things he's talking about, it's for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us so on and so forth. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the gospel in Jesus Christ. Grace, the love of God, God, our Savior. Speak these things. Speak the gospel, Paul says to Titus. Exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Paul wants Titus to know that he is a bondservant, so he should not see himself as an overlord. He's a bondservant, according to the example of Paul in verse chapter 1, verse 1. But he must continually remind his people of God's good commands and good works 
as a pastor who has the authority to exhort rebuke and to teach with the right motivation. And so if Cornerstone is going to continue to be a breeding ground for grace, like Titus, our pastors, our pastor bond servants, our elders must continually remind us of God's commands. What commands? Well, let's look at verses one and two. What kind of commands is Titus to remind the Cretans of? Let them be subject to rulers. So they said subject themselves to rulers and authorities. This probably means governing authorities to obey, i.e. those governing authorities to be ready for every good work, probably towards their community and governing authorities. Number two, uh, verse two, to speak evil of no one and then to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Titus is to command. He's to teach the Cretans to follow these particular commands, particularly, I think, humility and gentleness really encapsulates this whole package is Paul says to Titus, remind your congregation to be humble in all of their actions and their speech, whether it's leaders or just people in the community. Okay, this is not just Christians. This is behave this way towards everyone. And so if we are going to be like this church in Crete, Cornerstone is going to continue to be a breeding ground for grace. We need to be reminded of the fact that we need to walk in humility, that we need to have speech that's seasoned with humility. We need to have actions where we're willing to subject ourselves to leaders. That's kind of a strange place to start. Remind them to obey, remind them to submit. Remind them to walk in humility. Now, notice the type of crowd that Titus is having to pastor. Titus is pastoring a group of people that are from an island called Crete. And if you know anything about Cretans, they don't have the reputation for being ones that want to subject themselves to authority or want to walk in humility or to speak nicely to others. In fact, just look at chapter 1, verse 12. Paul actually quotes one of the pagan prophets about Cretans. And he says, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This is what a, a pagan says. And he's not the only one who says it. We have uh, uh, also evidence from Aristotle and Cicero from this time that speak of Cretans. In fact, there's a Greek word that to Cretanize means to lie. There's a the Greek word that's been established after the, those from Crete. And what is Paul's reflection upon this terrible description of the Cretans? He says in verse 13, this testimony is true. He goes, the, you know, a false prophet said it, but I just want to shoot straight with you guys, with you, uh, Titus. This is a true testimony, as you well know. And Titus had to be a guy that had been selected for a reason. Titus had gone in and delivered money uh, for Paul to Corinth. Um, There's no mention of him in the book of Acts, but we see him on some very special missions for Paul. And all of a sudden, you can just imagine how this meeting went down as Paul calls Titus into his office and says, Hey, uh, you know the island of Crete over there where we've got that church plant? I can just see Titus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want you to go. And I want you to establish elders there. What do you think Titus said? 
I know what I'd be saying. I'd be like, really? I don't know if I want this assignment. And so it's no wonder that Paul has to tell them many times in this particular book, like verse 13, therefore rebuke them sharply. Verse 15, speak these things, exhort, rebuke, remind them. They need to subject themselves. This is a tough crowd. This is a church plant of Irishmen, right? This is a t- Italian, pick, pick the race, right? Berries, whatever you want to call it, right? These are, this is a tough crowd, and, and Titus is to come in as a pastor bondservant, as a servant, but to come in with some gumption and remind them that these are God's commands, and this is for your good. When God commands us things, it's because he cares about us, right? God doesn't give us commands because he wants to make our life a bummer. He gives us commands because he cares about us, and it's a blessed thing to obey God, isn't it? When I tell uh, one of my children when they're younger, don't run in the street after the basketball, why am I saying that? Because I don't want them to get hit by a car, right? And so when God, through Paul, through Titus, is telling the Cretans, subject yourself to your pagan rulers and authorities, be ready for every good work, don't speak evil of them, don't speak, but be gentle, showing all humility, this is ultimately for their good. It's going to bring them into a blessed, happy state. And so for Cornerstone to continue as a a breeding ground for grace, our pastors need to humbly as bond servants, recognizing that we are third level galley slaves. Our job is really just to row for you so that you can do the work of the ministry. At the same time, we are supposed to come alongside and exhort and rebuke and remind you of God's commands. Even if you're Cretans, which you aren't, by the way, right? Well, maybe some of you, um, but to come and by God's grace to command and exhort and rebuke. But secondly, we can't stop there. We've got to help remind you of the right motive. Secondly, we need to be reminded where we've come from, our bad works. Notice that Paul doesn't stop there. He says, for we notice now he's including himself and Titus. I got a feeling that Titus probably could commiserate with some of these people he's pastoring. For we ourselves were once, what, foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. That's not a good B.C. resume, right? This is the way Paul categorizes the Cretans, but not just the Cretans. It's the way he categorizes Titus, but not just Titus. It's the way he categorizes himself. And may I suggest that Paul wants us to read this. The Holy Spirit wants us to read, it, read this and put our names right there. This is the way all of us were. And the Holy Spirit is actually being very gentle with us. This is the way all of us still are in some ways. You don't have to be around Cretans too long, Christian Cretans. You don't have to be around Christian churches too long to realize that some of these very attributes still remain in the church, Right. I mean, would we say that Cornerstone right now, that nobody here is foolish, disobedient, nobody's deceived, nobody's serving lust or pleasures, nobody's filled with malice or envy, nobody's hating, nobody's hateful. (laughs) What are you laughing at, Brian? Are you laughing at me? Oh, man. 
No, so I mean, clearly that's where we were. And so there's every reason for us to behave humbly towards the community leaders and the community that we're seeking to serve because we've all been there. And if we're honest, there's some ways in which we're still there. Cretans were called beasts. Uh, this is a tough place. Uh, their very name uh, means it, it creates a Greek word of, of uh, to lie and so on. And so we want to we need to be reminded of where we've come from in order to have the proper humility to minister to people in the community. Right. Just think about your own children. Right. Uh, those of you guys raise your hand if you have children. OK, great. That's a big group of people who've had children. I don't know if maybe you can commiserate with this, but I'm 51 years old and there's times where I'll, we'll just I've got this younger son uh, that's a little the youngest one in my family. We'll just call him uh, heard by God. All right. And um, and there's times where I'm trying to disciple this young man and I'm thinking, what is going on with this young man? Why is he not hearing from God? Right. Why is he not hearing from his parents and putting into practice the things I've been teaching him for the last 10 years. And that's about when the Holy Spirit says to me, and how old are you? I'm 51. And what's been going on in your life for the past two years? Well, I've been coming to a reawakening of my status in Christ. Right. And how old were you when your eyes were getting open to some of the stuff and cataracts was coming on and I was showing you new freshes of graces or waves of mercy? I was about 49. Okay. Okay, so is there reason for you to behave humbly and patiently with this heard by God's son? Yes, Lord, there is. You see how that works? It's like we're reminded of what God's calling us to do. These are good things he wants us to obey and and do. At the same time, we need to be reminded of where we've come from. What's the journey that you and I have been on? And that should humble us. As we're trying to do ministry in your various ministries here at Cornerstone, as our elders and pastors are trying to minister, as you're ministering to your Sunday school classes, as you're ministering to your own family, as we're going out into our communities and our workplaces and our environment and government, and we're trying to have an impact for Christ, guess what? We need to be reminded of where we've come from. That will help maintain this uh, breeding ground for grace. But thirdly, we can't stop there. We need to be reminded... We need to remember, to think about, to meditate on that he saved us according to his merciful love, not by works of righteousness. Newsflash, there is nobody here who's been born again that is here based upon your own works. You are here only merely by the mercy of a loving, kind God. If your eyes are opened... If you're listening to the word of God and you hear your heart's beating because you love Jesus, guess what? That's because of God's mercy in your life. Let's read the text again. Verse four, for when the kindness and love of God, our savior towards man appeared. That's an awesome title for Jesus Christ. That's the title of Jesus Christ in this paragraph. This is in the Greek. This is just one long paragraph. You know how Paul is, right? He just loves these big, long sentences. But he says, when the kindness and love of God, our savior towards man appeared. In other words, when Jesus appeared, what a wonderful description of Jesus. Kindness, love, love from God, savior, our savior 
towards man, towards us. In the Greek, it's, it's philanthropic. He's shown his philanthropic care for us as his people. That's our Jesus. When he appeared in his first coming, not by works of righteousness that we've done, but according to his what? Mercy, undeserved favor. He what? Saved us. God, the Father, saved us. How? Through the washing of regeneration. So he regenerated us. He caused us to be born again. Washed us up. Renewing of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, just like it says in Ezekiel, comes in and takes out this heart of stone. Puts in a heart of flesh. All of a sudden, boom, we're here in the gospel. We love it. We love Jesus now. That having been justified by his grace, declared righteous, not based upon my own righteousness, but based on the righteousness of Christ, all as a free gift. When I die, I'm not going to be judged based on the statistics on the back of my baseball card. I'm judged by the basis of the statistics on the back of Jesus's baseball card. We should become heirs, that is, sons and daughters, according to this hope. Hope is not like, oh, I hope so. It's an assurance of eternal life. We're going to live forever and ever 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 and ever. Only because God loved you and sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you, declared you righteous with his own righteousness. How does that make you think about verses one and two? Be subject to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work. Speak evil of no one. Peaceable, gentle, showing humility. God has been humble. He, he, he's humbled us. He sent Jesus Christ uh, in the form of a man. He, he humbled himself. He's come to us in gentleness. And we don't deserve this, do we? You know, one of the mysteries when we when we read our Bibles from beginning to end and we're reading through, say, the book of Ezekiel, for instance, and we see this judgment coming down, not just upon Babylon later, but judgment coming down on Israel. And there should be a sense in which we feel like that's what I deserve. That's what I deserve. But then what does God do in chapters 11 and 33 and other places in the book of Ezekiel? He comes along and he causes a loathing in the heart of the remnant. Look for the word remnant all throughout the Bible when you're reading your Old Testaments, by the way. The remnant all of a sudden starts to loathe their own sins. Why? Because the Spirit causes them to loathe their own sins. And then the Spirit comes and takes out that heart of stone, puts in a heart of flesh. Suddenly now they want to obey God because they love God. Why? Because He did it all for them. It's by grace. It's by mercy. And as we participate and drink in that grace, that gives us the fuel to then go out and do things that we could never do before to people who are just as lost as we used to be. Right. So how are we going to keep this this thing going here? Well, it's something. Let me just give you a little secret here. The church is something that Jesus has been doing for about 2000 years, and he's he's going to complete it. So it doesn't all depend on us. If you guys ever read anybody a Pilgrim's Progress fan. All right. So you guys remember when he goes in the interpreter's house and there's this wall. And on one side of the wall, there's a fire. 
and the devil keeps trying to pour water on the fire, but it won't go out. And and he's like, why won't this fire go out? And so then he gets taken behind the wall and there's Jesus feeding oil underneath through a little hole in the wall. What's Jesus doing? He's constantly giving the church, the Holy Spirit, fresh ways of his grace so that no matter what the devil does, the fire does not go out. He who began this good work, what? Will complete it the day of Christ Jesus. So what we're talking about here is how can we, using the human responsibility that we've been given, do the best we can by God's grace to ensure that this grace continues here in this local expression of Christ's body that is sure to succeed We need to be reminded, we need to think about that he saved us according to his mercy, not by any works of righteousness that we have done. Guess what? The church was doing fine before you were born, before I was born, and the church will do fine without us. And Jesus doesn't want you for what you can do for him. He wants you for you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, and then he's the one that produces the works. We get to walk in these works. If we think that we're somehow trying to earn favor for a boss and that somehow Jesus needs our works to make the kingdom work, we're in trouble. But if we realize that he died on the cross and he loves us for us, then the treasure produces the work. Is this making sense? I don't know. God's making sense to you because I've only been really getting some of this stuff the last couple of years. I've been a pastor at Cornerstone since, what, 98? 98. Let's look at the last last thing here. How could Cornerstone continue to be a breeding ground for grace? Well, we need pastors that are going to continue to remind us of God's good commands and good works. We need to be reminded of where we've come from. We need to be reminded that he saved us according to his merciful love, not by works of righteousness. And lastly, if we continue to stress these things, that is the gospel, Uh, this trustworthy word of the gospel, then the continued result will be properly motivated good works. Gospel thinking is good and profitable for everyone. Let's look at verse 8. This is a faithful saying. What is a faithful saying? What he just said, the gospel, uh, the kindness and the love of God, our Savior towards man, Jesus Christ. This is a faithful word. This is a faithful gospel. And these things, Paul says to Titus, I want you to constantly affirm. I want you to stress them. I want you to put your emphasis on these things. I want you to asterisk the gospel. I want your ministry to be focused on what we've just talked about in verses four to seven. That with the result that those who have believed... That means we've believed with ongoing results into the present. We believe the gospel, believed in God, should be now mindful or careful to maintain good works. How do we as a people get mindful where suddenly now it occurs to us to do things for our community? How do we suddenly get mindful to love our wives, to love our spouses? How do we get mindful to do things for Christ with the right motivation where we're not going to go out and start judging other people and start welling up with pride because, oh, look at Pastor Mike. He's open air preaching in the Philippines. How, how do I do stuff like that and not get a big head 
Well, I mean, it's always possible to get a big head no matter what you do. But if we keep our eyes on Christ, that should remind us we're down here. He's exalted. The faithful saying is this, that we are saved not by our own works. We are saved only by Christ. And we stress this. We continually stress it. And we keep believing in this kind of God, a God of love, a God of mercy. And this results in a mindfulness to want to go out and do things for the church and for all men. And what happens is, is when the Lord gets a hold of our hearts, to the gospel, like the gospel was just freshly awakened in past. It's not like Pastor Milton got saved in 2001, although there's times where he says it was like he got saved in 2001. But what happened in 2001 is the Lord started to open up the heart of our pastor through the book of Corinthians as he was preaching it, as he was being transformed by the gospel. Cataracts was falling away from his eyes that then began to dump out on Donna and to dump out on his family. And then that began to dump out on our congregation. And then that's been reverberating here at Cornerstone. We can go a couple different directions when we preach the word of God. We can preach the word of God. I can guilt you into evangelism. I can shin kick every one of our pastors. We could get up here on a, every Sunday and we can shin kick you to death into certain works of righteousness. We can tell you, you need to pray more. You need to fast. You need to evangelize. You need to do this. You need to love your wives. You need to love your children. Children, you need to obey your parents. We can give you all the commands and we should give you commands. But if that's all we do, we have not given you the faithful saying and you will not have the fuel to go out and do what God really wants you to do. And that is to drink in his love for you first. Drink in his love for you first. And then, you know what? All we have to do is basically hint at ideas. You know, I have people in my care group, which will remain nameless I have to be careful about even hinting about wanting certain things because almost like David's mighty men, when David says, oh, for a drink of water from Bethlehem, boom, they're running through Philistines to get them water. Right. And there's times where I'll just sometimes just hint about something and boom, there's people in my care group that wanting to run off and go do it. And I, I so much appreciate that, that that expresses God's grace and love for me. But I'll tell you what, the reason that happens, I think, and, and I think what people detect here at Cornerstone is when people get overwhelmed with the grace and the love of Jesus Christ for them, we just want to do stuff, right? We're like Zacchaeus. We just want to give our money away. We're like Mary. We just want to break open the oil and put it on Jesus's feet and wash his feet with our hair. We just want to sell everything and follow him. It's the pearl of great price. You don't have an attitude. You don't, you don't come to the attitude of the pearl of great price by shin kicking. You come to the attitude of the pearl of great price when you know how much your savior loves you. That is why that's how we can keep the breeding ground for grace here. Let me kind of wrap, kind of wrap this to a close, which is a meaningless preacher's statement. There's a, a wonderful article by a Scottish pastor called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection by Thomas Chalmers. Anybody ever read it? Raise your hand if you've read it. Okay, we've got to have some people read this article. The, I, I want to be straightforward with you. This is not an easy read just from the standpoint of these writing of the late 1700s, but it is well worth it. And you can actually go read 
Keller and other people, Piper. There's a lot of people that you could read that would kind of introduce you to the article. It's not long. It's about an eight-page sermon. But basically, the idea here is expulsive power. What is this? An affection for Christ from Christ that overpowers lesser desires and affections and forces them to the outer edge and even out of our consciousness and thus out of our behaviors. Let me say that again. What is the expulsive power of a new affection? It's an affection for Christ, from Christ, that overpowers lesser desires and affections and forces them to the outer edge and even out of our consciousness and thus out of our behaviors. In a nutshell, this is sanctification 101. We love him because he, what? First loved us. If we can apprehend the affection of Christ for us, that's what gives us the power to push out. And we're not even the ones that necessarily push it out. The spirit begins to push out our affections for lesser things to the outer edge of our consciousness. And then it begins to weed its way out of our behavior. Just a couple quotes here from this article. Thomas Chalmers says this. This we trust will explain the operation of that charm, which accompanies the effectual preaching of the gospel. The love of God and the love of the world are two affections, not merely in a state of rivalship, but in a state of enmity. And that's so irreconcilable that they cannot dwell together in the same bosom. We have already affirmed how impossible it were for the heart by any innate elasticity of its own to cast the world away from it and thus reduce itself to a wilderness. The heart is not so constituted and the only way to dispossess it of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. In other words, you just you can't tell people, hey, just stop it. Stop it. Yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not loving my wife. Well, just stop it. Start loving her. You know, I'm getting angry. Well, just knock it off. Right. I, I find myself walking in pride. Well, get humble. Right. If that's if that's as easy as it was, you know, I'm addicted to video games. I'm addicted to porn. Well, just knock it off. If it was that simple, we wouldn't be here. Right. No. But what is the solution? The solution is when we have an affection for something greater, the other affections melt away. When we really understand Christ's love for us, I'm going to post these other quotes from this article for you. You can take a look at it later. But let me just give you a, don't read this quote. I'm going to kind of give you the the outline here of this one from. Uh, yeah, this one from Whitfield. This is T. Whitfield, not. The Whitfield that you might be familiar with. But here's here's kind of the idea is the first step is at all times to turn to the Lord. The second follows turn now from your evil ways and from your evil doing. The motive and the power to forsake evil must be found in himself. Once know Jesus and his love experimentally. That means by experience you possess a motive for holiness. It is the expulsive power of a new affection. 
And yet, as in all advance, there is reciprocal action. The first step must ever be to Jesus. When the man is in Christ, he possesses the power. But in turning away from evil, new light and life are thrown back upon the starting point. What is he saying here? Is we look to Christ first and we drink in his love for us. When we drink in his love for us, that gives us appetites for other things and we repent of our sin. When we repent of our sin, we get a greater view of Christ and we want more of him, which helps us repent more of our sin, which gives us a greater view of Christ. Right. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. In our sanctification process, as we see more of Christ, we lay more of our sin aside, which allows us to see more of Christ. Honestly, brothers and sisters, I think that's why all of us struggle with cataracts over our eyes at different points, even as Christians, is because we're holding, we're clinging to the sin. We think this is what's going to make us happy. And then we get cataracts and we can't get a view of Christ. But if we'll just, we can say, no, I got to stop it. I got to stop it. I got to stop it. No, the Bible says, look at the love of Christ. Drink in the love of Christ. And now you want to stop it. And as you stop it, you see more of Christ. It's expulsive power of a new affection. A gentleman who has experienced this is Beckett Cook. He's written a book called Change of Affection. Beckett Cook says this. He was invited to come to church. By, he, he had never been to church. He was out in a coffee shop, noticed some weirdos reading their Bible. He took a dare from one of his friends, turned around and said, what do you guys believe? I don't know anything about what you believe. Tell me what you believe. And they started to talk to him about the gospel. And then he asked the, the big question. He says, well, I'm homosexual. What do you guys say about that? They said, well, the Bible indicates that homosexuality is a sin, but Christ died for sinners. Jesus Christ has died for the ungodly and God's in the business of justifying the ungodly. He wasn't offended by that. In fact, he felt refreshed that finally somebody was speaking very straightforward and honestly about what they believed. He went to church a week later. He came in and endured the Christian music, but then after a while realized he liked it. And then he heard the preaching, and it was just like God had was speaking to his heart directly. Then he went over after the preaching and had somebody put hands on him and pray over him with love and fervor, a man, and it overwhelmed him. And then he went back for the rest of the singing time, and he just began to bawl. And he says, I was crying over the joy of meeting Jesus Christ, but also crying over the sorrow of my sin. And so it was a mix of joy and sorrow, but mostly joy. I also knew that homosexuality was no longer a part of my identity. I don't miss that life. I'm so enamored with Christ and how much satisfaction he gives me that I don't need anything else. And he recognizes that people have different journeys as they move out of the sin of homosexuality. But he would say homosexuality was my identity, but now his identity is Christ. What about you? Pastor Milton says in the gospel primer, indeed, as I perpetually feast on Christ and all of his blessings found in the gospel, I find that my hunger for sin diminishes and the lies of lust simply lose their appeal. Hence, to the degree that I am full, I am free. Are you full this morning? Are you full of Christ? And this is not just a message for unbelievers. Believers can ebb and wane in our vision of Christ, right? But 
there is no matter how far we walk this far away from Christ, it's just one tiny baby step back to Christ. The Bible basically says, you know, that, that God resists the proud. So if you're going to hold on to your sin and resist him, he resists you. But he gives grace to the humble. And if we just simply humble ourselves even just a little bit, I find that God just wants to dump his grace on me. And what's befuddling to me is why God dumps his grace on me when I don't even want it. There's times where I haven't been seeking humility and God grants me humility. And I'm like, what's up with that? Why are you giving me humility when I wasn't seeking humility? That's just the grace of God. But we drink this in. And so, Christian, I want you to encourage you that you might feel a million miles away from Christ right now, but you are one tiny baby step back. Grace gives your life a lifetime guarantee. Grace gives your marriage a lifetime guarantee. If you've sinned today, you don't have to beat yourself up for five years. You can turn now to Christ. And if you're an unbeliever and you're one of those Cretans, like all of us were, but the Lord is opening up your eyes to believe what I'm saying. If the spirit is opening up your ears to understand, you can change your mind today and repent and call upon Christ and be saved. Just like uh, our brother Beckett Cook, the Lord can open up your eyes right in the service. I encourage you to come up to me. I'd love to talk with you more about the gospel, to lay hands on you, to pray for you. And you can be saved. On the other hand, there are those in this room and we should not be Shocked to realize that even many of our children come in with sermon proof vests that are here uh, as emissaries of the devil. And perhaps even the devil is working in their own hearts to keep them away from Christ. And we need to pray for our young people, pray for our old people who may come in and totally resist the gospel. And yet God's the power of the gospel can break through even the hardest heart if you will simply call upon him let's bow in prayer and call upon him to do that right now lord we thank you so much for the gospel we thank you so much uh, for the the power of a, a new affection that as we understand apprehend your love for us that while we were yet sinners christ died for us that we can all enjoy the the experience of the love of christ compelling us Realizing that you have died and been buried and raised from the dead, we, we regard no one any longer according to the flesh. We can go out and treat people as souls that are going to one place or another, heaven or hell, without offense. We can walk in humility towards them and bring them the good news of the gospel. We pray, Father, that you would do that. We thank you, Lord, for the ways in which we've been reminded of the gospel through the, preach, uh, the preaching, through uh, communion. Uh, through our singing, we ask God that as we give to you, that we'd be reminded of the gospel. That as we give to you, we're merely giving back what you've already given us. We pray that you'd use this offering for your glory and even the agape fund offering that it would go out to reach our community. We pray that you'd help us to remember the gospel even now. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. All God's people said, amen.